that Jesse tree, that reminder that centuries ago when people didn't have Bibles that they could open like we do today, when many of them, if they had a Bible available to them, it wouldn't have done much good because they, they couldn't read. But we find that they used something like this. They knew that Jesus was born out of the root of Jesse. And so somewhere along the way, someone created centuries ago in a different land and a different culture than we live in today. This kind of tree doesn't look like the kind of tree I have in my house or perhaps the one you have in your house. But nevertheless, it's a reminder for those people back then that each and every day they would simply take one of these ornaments that hold it up. They would look at what was etched on the front of it. And in this case, it's a pile of money. And they would talk about how the gifts that God has given to us, the resources we have were to use for Him. That's what part of Christmas is all about. So what I want to do this morning on this last Sunday of the Christmas season, the last Sunday before we gather back here on Christmas Eve at 5 and 9 to celebrate together in a carol candlelight service, the birth of Christ, I want to just focus upon one of these ornaments today. It's the one that is often overlooked. It's the figure of a man. We know his name to be Joseph. Now, I easily could have taken this ornament that's right down here that represents the mother of Jesus, Mary. Or we could have talked about these popular guys here, these shepherds. Or they played real big into the Christmas story. Joseph, for the most part, at least in my opinion, is the one who's the most overlooked. I mean, that great doctrine that we call the virgin birth. The fact that God's Son, our Savior, was born of a virgin. It was prophesied centuries ago in Isaiah. All of that teaching, and as true as it is, it does even more to just kind of shove Joseph to the background. I mean, he wasn't the, the real father of Jesus. That happened through the miracle of the virgin birth conceiving by the Holy Spirit and all that is mysterious there and of all that is mystical and that we really don't understand. But we know that ultimately Jesus had a heavenly father. Mary, his earthly mother, is given a lot of press. She always has. She deserves credit. There's no doubt. There are some Christian circles who base everything that they do upon praying to her, emphasizing her innocence. I don't take away from that at all. But it's, it's Joseph. It's Joseph that at times at least gives me pause. Because I think of this man who was put in an uncomfortable position and the way he responded to it. I look at Joseph perhaps as the one that many of us can relate to the most. Very few of us in here, of course, if we go ahead and divide it male and female, there are very few women in this room or any that I've ever met that would sit there and compare themselves to Mary. That'd be a hard thing to do. But all of us, men and women alike, 
we can learn a great lesson from this man named Joseph. So our ornament for the morning, our lesson for today, as we look toward these next couple of days before the actual day of Christmas, looks at, remember, we call these thin places, places in our lives where where God, the distance between God and His Word for us and where we are is as thin as it can ever be. Places and times in our lives where we are so close to God, we can feel His presence unlike at any other time. I think Joseph represents a lot of thin places in our pilgrimage in our lifetime. Let's see what God's Word says. We take our story of Joseph from the Christmas story that's found not in Luke chapter 2, but in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 as where we find the other Christmas story. You know, these two Christmas stories have basically one basic thing in common, and that is that Jesus was born. The rest is seen through the eyes of different people. Luke's account, Luke 2, is principally told through the eyes of Mary. Matthew his account is told simply and basically through the eyes and the viewpoint of Joseph. It's, it's interesting. I remember seeing a movie several years ago. It was actually a very long movie. It was actually two movies in one. It was one story. The first movie was everything that the movie entailed told from the view of the hero in that story, the man. The other part of the film that was almost as long, if not a little bit longer, was the same story, but through the viewpoint of the heroine, the woman in that story. That's what the Christmas story in Matthew 1 and in Luke chapter 2, that's what these stories are like to me. It's, it's the same event, but it's seen through different eyes. And in Matthew's account, we find it through Joseph's eyes. We see it through his life. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that we see how important it is that when times come, when we're personally attacked, that we have the opportunity to respond with integrity. The Scripture says, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Okay, what's going on in this passage? Well, first and foremost, you've got to, you've got to deal with the vocabulary. You've got to deal with the, the words here that we automatically translate into our culture, and we miss the point. We think of marriage in our day and time as two basic concepts. One is engagement, and the other is marriage. You, you ask someone to marry you, you're engaged, or someone asks you to marry him, or I guess someone could ask you to marry her, I don't, I don't guess it could be either way, and once you depend upon that or, or, or agree upon that, then you're engaged, and then there's a day for the wedding. Not so in New Testament times. There was a period of engagement, but it began way back when perhaps the little boy and the little girl are children. An engagement, a, a, a promise to marry could have been made when you were five or six years old. You were not married off at that age, of course. But in this day and time in the first century, 
what we call engagement, would have been decided by families, by moms and dads, years before the marriage actually would take place. Then you have this word that's found in our text today, betrothal. He was, they were betrothed to one another. That was the second stage in the first century. This is where you did not live together necessarily, but you were legally bound to one another. There was a process that you went through in, in religious life and in civic life during a betrothal. This is where Mary and Joseph found themselves at this time. And then later on at a point of time, there was the actual legal marriage where you lived together, where you consummated that relationship with sexual intimacy. Well, Mary and Joseph found themselves in this middle part, this betrothal stage. And it was there that we find the very uncomfortable situation. Literally, what happened here, it says that when she had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they were legally married, one would say, she was found to have conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. We understand it from our viewpoint, but let's go back to Joseph. How would he have taken this? He would have taken this as an affront. He would have taken this as a great matter of embarrassment. He would have been likely infuriated. He would have been beside himself. And yet, an attack that society would say was against Joseph gave him an opportunity to respond with integrity. The Old Testament law in Deuteronomy said that Mary literally deserved to be executed for this transgression, for having relations, sexual relations with another person during this betrothal period of their marriage. Deuteronomy, the early chapters specify that this wasn't apt punishment. It wasn't the only punishment. There was another way to take care of it. And this is the the path that Joseph chose. It says that he chose to put her away secretly. There was a legal process you could go through in the first century world where you would literally go through a legal process much like divorce. The implications of it, the details of it could remain closed. They could remain covered up. They could remain secretive if you want to look at it that way or confidential. And when it says he planned to send her away secretly, it wasn't that Joseph was just going to say, I'm going to pretend you never existed and I'm going to send you away because you have embarrassed me and you have put me in a position of disgrace. But to put her away secretly meant that Joseph said, I'm not going to push for capital punishment here. I'm going to simply go through the steps that will allow us to legally separate, to pretend that this engagement in this betrothal had never happened. You see, right people do right things, don't they? Now, now we know the whole story here, but we got to back up here. We're, we're reading through this a section at a time. And you take Joseph where he found himself at this moment. And I find a man of deep character. I find a man of integrity. I find a man who could have who could have pointed fingers at a supposed unfaithful wife because they were considered a husband and wife even in this betrothal stage. But Joseph, even before he received a definite word from God concerning this, showed great integrity and righteousness. That's what the Scripture says. 
You see, righteousness, being right with God, always spills out into our relationship with other people. Joseph was right before God, and that meant when the opportunity came for him to mete out punishment, he was right regarding Mary. He planned to take care of this in the least painful way as possible. It would help her to save face. It would still be an embarrassment to him. It probably would turn him off on the idea of marriage altogether. Who knows? But we see a man who, because he was right with God, it spilled over into being right toward others. The passage continues. Verses 20 through 23, as I look at it, it tells me that God's will at times is very difficult and awkward. It says, when Joseph had considered this, and that means this putting Mary away through a legal process secretly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. What does this passage tell us? Well, much as I have to admit it, God has never spoken to me through a dream like he spoke to Joseph. Now, if you read through these Christmas accounts, dreams play a big part. God speaking through a person's dream. I think you get into some areas here in our day and time where you can go way overboard, where you can overinterpret. And it's real easy for me to say, well, this is what the right thing is to do because God spoke to me in a dream. You've got to be careful that you don't overstate the case. But at the same time, when Joseph probably was not in the right frame of mind in his conscious thought of doing what was right, God took the opportunity in his rest. God took the opportunity during his sleep to speak to him in a dream and to tell him his will. You know, God never asked Joseph permission about any of this, did he? God never said, now, Joseph, you know, you're 18 years old now. I want you to think ahead a few years. Would you be willing to do this for me? Would you be willing to take care of your bride, Mary, even though to society it looks like she's committed a grievous sin? Would you be willing to take the abuse, to take the humiliation, You think about it, and then you come back and let me know. Because it seems like in other passages, God's done that. God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. Will you go with me? And Moses and God had this conversation in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. seems to me that when Samuel, the great prophet, was called, God spoke to Samuel in a dream. But it took a conversation where finally Samuel had to realize, I've got to get up and say, Lord, I'm here, I will, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But with Joseph, that wasn't the case. God drafted Joseph. God didn't ask him for any input. 
And see, I think that's huge. You think of where you are in life today. You think of of the position you find yourself in. Could it be that if you step back, if you really look at the big picture, if you really look at what's going on, you'll see that your part, that your life is part of not just your little world, but your life is that which is going to affect and influence others. And it very well be, may be that God has taken the prerogative that he really doesn't feel it necessary to ask your permission or to ask my permission. It may well be that we find ourselves in a situation where we need to act and we need to do what is right because we're right with God. And it may be that we have to skip past the, Lord, ask me and I'll consider if I will do your will. This was, this is way past that with Joseph. That's how God deals with us at times. I think it's very important that we find Joseph slept on his decision. You know, he could have easily what? Could have easily just immediately said, I'm pushing through with this. I'm going to go ahead and announce it. I'm going to go ahead and make it public, even though I'm going to put her away secretly. He could have started those wheels of justice going. He could have sought vindication. He could have sought justification for what had happened to him. Surely as people would see him as a victim. But he didn't take a rash course of action. He waited. He pulled back. He slept on it. And it gave the angel of the Lord, it gave God an opportunity to remind Joseph what his real, what what his real part was in all this. Not to ask his permission. Yes, he was chosen. Yes, he was drafted. Yes, he was pressed into service. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe that's what's wrong with a lot of us in church today. Maybe we're coddled too much. Maybe it's we're we're asked if we'll consider doing something that involves God's will. When what we ought to be told is this is what we need to do. We need to begin doing it right now. How would that change the way you respond and the way you live? Well, the passage continues. Verses 24 and 25 tell us that Joseph was left with a choice. And his choice carried consequences, whichever way he went. Joseph awoke from his sleep, the scripture says, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. It's just a short little passage. It's really the the Christmas story told through the eyes of Joseph. It's not near as spectacular as Luke 2, 1 to 20, you might think. Oh, but it is. Because you see what we find out with this man Joseph, this, this guy toward the top of the Jesse tree, this thinnest of thin places where If you were to really talk about how close you are to God and if God has a plan for you, you just find yourself in a position like Joseph found himself in, where you're victimized, where you had nothing to do with what's going on, where the circumstances are swirling around you and you don't know where to turn. And you talk about God speaking to you. You may feel so far removed from him, but it was there that Joseph found that God came right to him. 
He let him know what the right thing was to do. And I think that's all Joseph needed was a little encouragement, was a little nudging from up on high, from God's Spirit, to cause him to make a choice that had eternal consequences. It says that when Joseph awoke that next morning, he knew that what he had dreamed was not just his subconscious speaking to him, But he knew that it was a word from God. Joseph may have looked back and thought, I'm so glad that I I found out about this at a time where I couldn't just rush to judgment, where I couldn't just make a decision and proceed with this legal annulment and separation. For I've had an opportunity for God to speak to me. And now I see that the choice I make is crucial. It says that Joseph simply did what the Lord commanded him. He never said a word about the predicament. He took Mary as his wife, which meant that he went through this betrothal period that was legally binding and went through the marriage that was legally binding. He respected Mary and it was after Jesus was born and was growing that the Bible tells us, for all practical purposes, that Mary and Joseph expanded their family. They lived normal, productive lives. He was a carpenter. And that Jesus, as he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52 tells us, as he prepared for that cross, he had a family to support him. He had a family to deal with. And it's because Joseph made a decision that carried consequences. And so he chose carefully and did as God commanded him. Now, folks, many times we know that when we choose God's will, it doesn't mean everything's going to turn out rosy. It's no fun sometimes to do what is right. It doesn't mean that we choose what is wrong. It simply is a reminder that the choices we make, we're free to make the choice, whatever it is we want to do, but we are not free to control the consequences of our choices. Always remember that. That is an eternal promise, eternal teaching that is from one end of the Bible all the way through to the other. Yes, you're free to choose, but no, you're not free to control the consequences. And I'm thankful that we have the example of a man, a man named Joseph, who chose the right path. Years past, there was that acronym WWJD. There's jewelry that had that, those four letters on it. It simply meant, what would Jesus do? Lots of good in that phrase. What would Jesus do? It was a reminder that any time we had something to choose, we had something to decide, that we would look back and take the example of Jesus. Well, WWJD, for our purposes, might well be what would Joseph do? Knowing that the choices before us are those that have eternal consequences. Are there things, are there principles, even beyond what we have read this morning, that would tell us in no uncertain terms that we can look to a man who is sometimes in the very background of the whole story of Christmas. But if he hadn't made the choice or the choices that he made, how different would the story be? I think Joseph had in his mind... The idea and the notion that his life counted because of people. Because he had a responsibility to a wife. Because 
all of us, all of us need the Lord. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Every day they pass me by I can see it in their eyes Empty people filled with care Headed who knows where On they go through private pain Living fear to fear Laughter hides their silent cries Only Jesus hears People need the Lord People need the Lord At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When we We are called to take his light To a world where wrong seems right What could be too great a cost For sharing life with one who's lost Through his love our hearts can feel all the grief they bear They must hear the words of life Only we can share People need the Lord People need the Lord At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we That we must give our lives for 
Father, we give thanks for this day. We give thanks for the word of life that we find etched upon ornaments on a Jesse tree, that we find written from one end of your Bible to the other. We're seeing the fact that people all around us need you. And if there was ever a thin place, ever an opportunity for us to spread your love to those in need, perhaps it's this season, perhaps it's right now. Perhaps it's today. This is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. We offer an invitation as we conclude this service this morning. An opportunity for you and me to make choices. It could well be that you're here today and you have never said yes to Jesus. You have never taken him into your heart and asked him to forgive your sin, to fill you with his spirit, to lead you from this point on. The choice to become a Christian is not one that you just make every other day. It's a lifelong commitment. God holds us in his hand. That's why he sent Jesus to this earth. That's why God with us, Jesus in the flesh, came and went to a cross that we might live. And so if you're ready now to receive that good news and to make it your own, there'll be deacons and ministers standing here to help you, to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord, just never... Followed his command to be baptized as a believer, as Olivia Best, at the top of our hour. Why would you wait? Since that's a simple command that God, through Christ, has given to us. So if the need to follow him in believer's baptism is your choice today, come tell us. And we'll find a time, a service, where you can experience believer's baptism. Maybe God would lead you to join our church today. Maybe that's his will for your life today. We'd invite you to come and put your life into the life of the First Baptist Church here in Louisville. Not the only church in the area. Great churches all around us. Here's the, here's the trick. Finding the one where you can serve. And it's no trick. It's simply following God's lead and making a choice. Maybe you're here today and you just need someone to pray for you. Kermit will be on one side. Ray will be on the other. These guys are here just to pray for you. That's our invitation. We stand together. We sing. Won't you step out and come forward right now?